and welcome to the Raw is Nitro podcast, the show that rips up the buy rates and TV ratings and declares our own winner in some of pro wrestling's biggest head-to-head battles. I'm your host, Lee Carlos Cunningham, back on my lonesome to take another trip down 1996 Raw and Nitro, with today's stop being the May 20th episode of each. There's big changes on the horizon as next week Nitro goes to two hours and for some reason in something that wasn't advertised or really mentioned in advance, this week's Nitro is actually 90 minutes. So it seems as though they're edging closer and closer to longer shows and we get a little taste of that here with this episode. This is the episode of Nitro post-Slamboree, the Battle Bowl, Lethal Lottery, which I'll be talking about in a very, very near coming episode with Carl, and we'll also be comparing that to the pay-per-view coming up a week later than this for Raw, which is In Your House Beware of Dog. Um, many of you will remember this for being the one where, oh, I won't spoil it, let's leave it and talk about it on the next show, but they're the two pay-per-views Carl and I will be talking about next. There's actually a lot of fun stuff coming up in the near future, I've got a whole bunch of stuff with a whole bunch of different hosts, and um going to be having appearances left, right, and center on the show for the next few episodes, um, but for now, it is just me looking at Raw and Nitro once again, and we had a bit of a rating swing this week as well. I know Raw picked up a pretty handy victory on the last time out, but this time around, their 2.3 pales in comparisons to Nitro, pales in comparison to Nitro's 3.1, so a bit of a swing. Having a look over the next sort of few shows the ratings does send a swing backwards and forwards here in the early days of well, middle of 96 now um, but we will certainly see one team pull out ahead of the other pretty soon because we're going to have some big time debuts coming up in WCW um, on the next episode of Raw and Nitro that's all going to get started so I think you probably know who I'm talking about but if not I won't spoil it here right now. All that being said I watched Raw first, so I'm going to take you guys over and check out Raw before we have a look at Nitro and pick ourselves a winner. Uh, Bear with me one moment, and we're going to tee Raw up for you right about now. get started with a little bit of a video package about a house show that occurred the night before this show at Madison Square Garden. This may be an incident you've heard a little bit of about, a little bit of about, this may be an incident you've heard a little bit about, but in case you haven't, I'll give you a very, very brief rundown of the incidents from the night before. Triple H faced Razor Ramon in what was to be Razor's last night with the company. After the match, Razor picked up the mic and had been hearing chants of you sold out throughout the match. So he picked up the mic, house mic and says, say goodbye to the bad guy before it cut out on him because this was not a scripted part of the show and he wasn't meant to be cutting this promo. 
Later on in the night in the main event, Shawn Michaels faced Diesel in a steel cage match. Shawn Michaels finished Diesel off with Sweet Chin Music. And after the match, Diesel and Triple H, sorry, Razor Ramon and Triple H came out to the ring. And a little incident known as the curtain call took place. So the four men hugged and celebrated in the ring. This is something they all claim they've had prior approval from Vince McMahon to do. And Vince kind of admits that, yeah, they did have prior approval, but then has since sort of half-heartedly said, oh, but I didn't think it would be that, you know, really taking a bit of a cop-out as an excuse to sort of justify the fact that he did punish the guys, or Triple H at least, for this incident, even though he himself had approved it. So, curtain call is right now, and we show some of the highlights. They obviously don't show the curtain call, they just show um, some of the stuff that's gone down with the current players. And we go into the Raw opening, and it is time for Sunny. Um, are we also, sorry... On that video package, we see that Sonny's body donors have lost their tag team titles, and Vince recaps how that all happened with um, Phineas and Henry Godwin picking up the win there. From there, we go into our first matchup, which is soon to be Stone Cold Steve Austin, but for, for now still pr- with Ted DiBiase, so the sort of dying embers of the ringmaster character, taking on Wildman Mark Miro. Vince talks about um, what he expects to be the future career progression of both these athletes and talks about how this match is really important in seeing who gets ahead in the World Wrestling Federation and that just made me chuckle considering who they thought would be the big star and where they both ended up being later on in their WWF career. They get started with some chain wrestling and Miro hits a crossbody block for a two count. Austin comes back with a back elbow before Miro hits a hip toss, an arm drag and a drop kick and Austin powders to the outside. Stone Cold gets back into the match with a hot shot and it breaks into a slugfest as we go to a commercial break. When we come back, Austin hits a clothesline and his patented second rope elbow for a two count. Miro locks on a sleeper, but Austin fights out of that with a jawbreaker. Mark Miro hits a flying head scissors and a knee lift, followed by a top rope axe handle and a clothesline for a two count. On the outside, Ted DiBiase trips Mark Miro, allowing Austin to come up with a body slam, goes up top, but Savio Vega runs down to the ring and begins whipping Austin with a leather strap, bringing up the disqualification and also hyping up their very um, their upcoming Caribbean strap match at the pay-per-view. Of course, the stipulation being there that if Austin wins, Savio Vega will have to be Ted DiBiase's chauffeur, but if Savio wins, Ted DiBiase will have to leave the World Wrestling Federation. We're also told as we head out of this match that the King of the Ring qualifiers will begin next week and we'll see Ahmed Johnson taking on Vader and Goldust taking on the Ultimate Warrior in a rematch from one of the worst matches we've ever reviewed on this podcast, Goldust and the Ultimate Warriors in your house fiasco. We go to another commercial break and when we come back it's time for the other member of that upcoming strap match, Savio Vega, to take on the 1-2-3 kid, another charge of the Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase. With that going on, Ted joins the commentary team, and the match gets underway. Savio Vega hits a nice shoulder block and a drop kick for a two count before locking on a headlock. Jerry Lawler mentions on commentary that Mission Impossible is opening in the cinemas, so that really helps date where this show's coming from. Savio Vega locks on a third headlock of the match in pretty short order, as Ted taunts him with a chauffeur's hat at the announce desk. This distracts him a little bit, and the kid hits a nice spinning heel kick and a nice corner drop kick, then goes up top and hits a lovely frog splash for a two count as we go into a commercial break. The 1-2-3 kid hits his really cool short leg drops for a two count, before Savio fights back with a rock bottom for a two, a back body drop, and the kid hits a nice spinning kick but misses a second splash off the top. Savio Vega hits a really weird sort of 
half stroke, half roll up type move. And this is enough to pick up the one, two, three against a kid. But before too long, Austin is out and they commence a two on one beat down. They actually hogtie Savio's arms and legs. And then they use this just as an excuse to stick the hat on him and make him look you know, make him look a bit silly rather than actually continue a vicious beatdown. But it does get some good heat for the upcoming pay-per-view match. We go back to some more highlights of the Madison Square Garden show, and in particular this time they're focusing on the tag title match I talked about earlier. We see Phineas kiss Sonny, and Vince McMahon really shows himself up to be the world's corniest dad, where his commentary is, What a smackaroo! Oh, God, Vince. Like, can you imagine if someone said that on commentary now and he was on the headset? Oh, my God. Um, but, yeah, the Godwins win the belt. Um, we also, as we're showing the highlights of this, this is a completely random, but we see a kid about 12 years old in the front row wearing a push bike helmet. And I just thought, what? Is, is there anything more fitting than a kid sat and wearing a bike helmet for, as the Godwins win the tag team titles? It's just a ridiculous scene all up. Um, we're also told that they will there will be a rematch for the belts on the free-for-all before the next pay-per-view, so if you want to tune in and watch it and decide whether or not that's good enough to get you to buy the pay-per-view, you would have been able to do so. Obviously, you can't now because it's God knows decades later, but that was not a bad little idea. I'm you know very interested to see whether or not they got any last-minute buys out of that because... I know I certainly would have, as a kid, loved to have gotten a free tag title match with before a pay-per-view, you know, assuming that um, the parents weren't going to order the pay-per-view for me, certainly would have enjoyed watching one of the matches for free and probably would have been enough to get me to go and nag and beg and plead and see, you know, try my arm. From here, we go to our next segment, which is JR interviewing Paul Bearer and The Undertaker. Um, Paul Bearer wheels The Undertaker just onto the edge of the... It's not really a ramp, but out of the, from the curtain in a casket. He's not quite visible at first, and JR begins to interview Paul Bearer. This Sunday on Paper, Continental Championship is going to be decided with casket match rules when your Undertaker meets Goldust. After everything that's gone on, is your Undertaker ready for this Sunday on pay-per-view? Oh, yes, Mr. Ross. There's a very fine line, and Goldust has crossed that line. It's time for him to face the Grim Reaper. And to answer your question, oh, yes, he's ready! I was hoping that we would be able to talk with the Undertaker, the Undertaker here this week. Is that going to be possible? Where's Goldust? He's here. Would you like to talk to him right now? I'd just well, like I to see certainly him. would. You're not telling me he's in the casket. Huh? Where do you think he is? Oh, my goodness. The Undertaker! Well, uh, what? He's the only one Mr. who might Undertaker. be at home in that casket. Well, that could be Gold the home of Goldust. This is your future. I am going to take it upon myself to seal your fate. And I'm going to seal it in this casket. You will be a... Look at this! Oh, wait a minute! That's Mankind! Mankind is out here! And Goldust is out here as well! Yeah, you wanted to see Goldust, McMahon! Well, there he is! Casket and Goldust. Look what he's doing. 
So as you heard there, um, Undertaker's about to cut a promo from the casket or halfway through, and Mankind and Goldust come out and jump him and lock him in the casket. And then Mankind proceeds to beat the casket up with a pipe, put some pretty good dents in it, and tip it over as we go out to a commercial. So a good bit of heat there. And this whole um, Mankind-Goldust alliance has definitely got some legs to it. I don't mind uh, this so far. I do remember it briefly from the time, but I didn't see a lot of it, so I'm interested to see how these two play off against each other in weeks to come. From there, we go to a commercial break, and when we come back, it's time for our main event, the British Bulldog taking on Jake the Snake Roberts. Shawn Michaels is due to be out on commentary, but Jim Cornette throws a bit of a spanner in the works on that as he proceeds to pull out a restraining order from Diana, who has accompanied the British Bulldog down to ringside. So let's see how that one plays out. And that Shuttles was supposed to be out here to do color commentary on this particular match, but that ain't gonna happen. Because you see, my man right here, my attorney, Clarence Mason, has... Oh, shut up. Yeah, tell him. Right here, he has, if you will notice, get a good shot, a restraining order preventing that no-good, deviant Shawn Michaels from being within 100 yards of Diana Smith between now and this Sunday. All right, McMahon, what do you think of that? So Sean ain't gonna be out here. He ain't gonna be doing no commentary. He's not gonna be able to hey, look at Diana Smith what? with lust in his eyes. He's not gonna be able to undress her with his gaze. What is he doing here? a restraining here? order that prevents him from being anywhere near Mrs. Diana Smith. Oh, for heaven's sake. The WWF Just President Gorilla Monsoon. What do without you? Right. You know what they say, monsoon happens. It's legal and it's binding, and there ain't nothing you can do about it. Right. Read it was it. done by a court of law, not and George monsoon. of the Jungle, Mr. Baboon. <laughs> Apparently, this is quite a surprise. And Gorilla Monsoon having some consultation with. Howard, we promised you Shawn Michaels. I guess we're not going to be able to bring you Shawn Michaels. You know what? I wish he would come out here. Then he'd go to jail. I'll stop it. Unless. Ladies and gentlemen, may I have your attention, please? World Wrestling Federation President Gorilla Monsoon has confirmed that this indeed is a valid restraining order. Yes. And he will comply with the restraining order in the following manner. Mr. Monsoon has ordered that Diana Smith leave the ringside area immediately. What? There you hear it. Um, Howard Finkel announces that Gorilla Monsoon is giving Diana the boot, so she's not going to be at ringside, which will allow Shawn Michaels to come out and join the commentary team. He does pretty blatantly disregard the whole restraining order because... Sending Diana out is one thing, but Shawn Michaels walks out as she's walking back, so they pass each other within a foot or two of each other. So if this was an official restraining order, you'd have to think Gorilla Monsoon might get himself into a little trouble for not allowing a 30-second swap over time for Diana to get, to get out and Shawn to get in. Uh, we go to a commercial before the match actually starts, and when we start back, Shawn Michaels on commentary is de- denying all the rumours about Diana. Jake gets a knee lift and gets a DDT chant going from the crowd before Bulldog fights back and beats him down and works over his leg in what is a pretty slow matchup, this one here. 
Jake hits a short clothesline and again signals for the DDT to wake the crowd up, but the Bulldog gets back onto the leg. Jerry Lawler drops the Playgirl bombshell that Shawn Michaels has appeared naked in the cover of uh, in the pages of Playgirl, and Shawn, after a bit of back and forth, does actually admit that he's done it. Um, his arguing on commentary is much, much better than the wrestling going on in the ring because this is a really dull affair for the main event. Jake is way past it at this point in time. Hits another knee lift and Bulldog goes back onto the leg. It's just the same things, rinse and repeat. Uh, Jake Roberts hits a roll-up for a two and Diana comes back out as we go to another commercial. She argues with Shawn Michaels at the commentary table, ignoring the restraining order now, and throws a drink on him. Shawn Michaels gets up um, like he's going to hit her, but instead turns and nails Jim Cornette. The Bulldog jumps out the ring, jumps Shawn Michaels, and we go off the air with them brawling. So, a pretty abrupt ending. Um, this was really a bit of a nothing episode of Raw, to be fair. It was pretty much just a hype show for the pay-per-view. Um, the wrestling was a bit of a mixed bag, but the main event here was pretty terrible. So not the best go home, and that definitely leaves the door open for Nitro to come and challenge for the better show here. That being said, before we go to Nitro, we have to take a little trip down memory lane. Peace, God. Peace, God. Now the shit is explained. I'm taking niggas on a trip straight through memory lane. It's like that, y'all. It's like that, y'all. It's like that. So today's piece of wrestling memorabilia I'm going to talk to you about is the very first replica belt I ever owned, and it was the John Cena Spinner United States title. So this was in the early to mid-2000s, whenever John Cena was the US champ. It was pretty pretty common, pretty current when I got it, Um, and obviously saved up and spent quite a bit of money to buy this belt. I don't know why it was this one, but it just, that was the one piece of merch that finally got me over the line. I remember Cena's rapper character was one of my favorite guys in a long, long time. And I just thought, yeah, I'll get that belt. That'll be the one I'll save and spend the fortune on. Um, And the reason why I talk to you about this is because it's also a um, pretty embarrassing memory of mine. So I would have been in my early 20s at the time and a bit of a drinker. And there was a big time boxing card over here in Australia. Uh, You may know the two guys. It was Danny Green and Anthony Mundine. So at the time, the two biggest names in Australian boxing. And um, I guess they've achieved some somewhat success overseas as well. So you may know them. Um, And anywho, this was a big fight. And so there was a lot of drinks going down. It was a big night at my house. And we're outside in between oh, some of the last prelims, so it was a pretty long card and been going a few hours. We've been drinking quite heavily, and we're outside playing around with my new belt, which had arrived that day, and spinning it, and I spun the plate right off the belt, dropped to the concrete floor, and I was gutted. I was heartbroken. i just got this belt today, and I thought I'd broken it day one. I was very, very drunk and very close to crying. I'm not going to lie to you. I was absolutely heartbroken. <laughs> um, I picked it all up, took it inside, thought I'm in no state to be looking at this tonight. I am so drunk. Um, put it all away, and then the next day I got it and realized that the screw on the back that allowed it to spin was just a little bit too loose and I'd spun it in the one direction too many times and it went back together quite easily but um, um, another one of those wrestling memories where my brother and I 
had some merch and have got a pretty funny story for the rest of our days and he loves to rub it in that I was heartbroken about my first belt breaking on the first day. So another little trip down my wrestling memorabilia collection and that was a you know, one that sprung to mind today. So if anybody else has any funny stories about wrestling memorabilia or any particularly bad pieces they've owned over the years, please do send it in because I'm happy to take listener submissions for this segment going forward. Anywho, that'll do the short interlude. We're going to head over and check out what Nitro's got to offer and see if they fare better than Raw or my replica belt buying beginnings. All right, let's do it. Nitro begins with our opening video package, and we see the commentary team is going to be Bobby the Brain Heenan and Eric Bischoff, so no Steve Mongo McMichael this week, and the reason given for that is something that we'll talk about on the pay-per-view, but basically, Flair and Arn have challenged him and a partner to a tag team match, and he's recruited current Super Bowl champion Kevin Green, and they've gone away to train for the big matchup, so that's a storyline reason for Mongo going off TV. And it'll be those two taking each other on at the Great American Bash in a month's time, which is the next WCW pay-per-view. And we are told once again that the Macho Man has once again been barred from the building. It's also crazy to think that Kevin Green had just won the Super Bowl four months earlier. Um, I knew about Kevin Green's involvement in WCW and obviously Mongo's, but... To think that an active Super Bowl champion could be wrestling on a pay-per-view is just madness. I know they've got the Dennis Rodman and Karl Malone out the NBA and everything, but this is one that I kind of just never really thought about, so it is one that blows the mind a little bit. We get started with a tag team match to start with, which is Fire and Ice taking on the Steiner Brothers. The match gets underway with a big arm drag from Scott Steiner and a hip toss from the Ice Train. Steiner hits a lovely clothesline for a two-count, and Ice Train comes back with a nice belly-to-belly suplex for a two-count. Then Scott Steiner kicks it up a notch, hitting an overhand belly-to-belly suplex, which is just awesome. Scott Norton comes in and fights back with a second rope splash and a pair of clotheslines, before Rick Steiner hits a German suplex, a clothesline for a two-count. Scott Steiner comes in and hits a dragon suplex, and this match is just getting better and better. Then a top rope axe handle to the floor. I just absolutely love watching these teams. This is a match I talked about um, on Twitter recently with the 20 Years and Nitro guys. Um, they obviously raved about this match as well and um, went back and listened to their episode. And yeah, it's just this is just four meaty guys suplexing the shit out of each other. It is brilliant. Norton then hits a small and drop for a two count. And Scott Steiner hits a T-bone suplex. Rick Steiner and the Ice Train hit a double clothesline, and then we go to a four-man brawl, and it ends in a double count-out with some suplexes on the floor and some more brawling. Bit of a weird ending, but I would love to see these guys go at it again, so if that's what this leads to, I'm going to be a happy man. 
From here, we go to a commercial break, and when we come back, we get a WCW Magazine commercial, which I've been hearing every show, but I wasn't quite sure how well it would translate, so I'm going to splice it in now and let you guys hear. But the gist of it is, it's um, when the kid's talking, he transforms into Sting, and when Sting's talking, he transforms into the kid wearing his makeup talking about the magazine. So if you can picture that in your head as you listen to this, it might make it a little bit more enjoyable. In the June issue, get inside the demented mind of the giant. This is mother. Find out what the mistress of dirty tricks is up to now. Plus, exclusive photos of the chaos and uncensored. Man, where do they get this stuff? Get your copy now on newsstands everywhere. So yeah, that's a WCW Magazine ad. They've been playing that on pretty much every show since I started, so I thought it's about time I shared that one with you guys. We go to our next matchup, one that I was very, very excited for, Eddie Guerrero taking on Ric Flair. Guerrero is looking for payback from the pay-per-view um, because Ric Flair and Arn Anderson's grudge against Macho Man basically screwed Guerrero out of getting anything out of the Battle Bowl concept. We start off with some nice chain wrestling and a drop kick from Eddie Guerrero. We then go to a bit of a chop and punch battle between the two. Um, a really good fiery back and forth with both guys showing good heat. Guerrero hits a backdrop and a drop kick before Flair powders to the outside. He gets a chair and the referee basically takes it off him and says no. And he and Flair have a bit of a shoving match. Guerrero then mocks uh, Ric Flair's strut as we go out to a commercial break. Guerrero hits three clotheslines and a sunset flip for a two, a backslide for a two, and a small package for a two. Ric Flair comes back with a back suplex before Eddie Guerrero locks on a figure four, but Flair does make it to the ropes. Ric Flair hits a nice suplex on the floor and then a delayed vertical in the ring for a two count. Guerrero comes back with a crossbody for a two count and Flair takes his patented corner bump. As he comes back down on the apron, uh, Guerrero hits him with a nice drop kick and sends him to the floor. And then Guerrero inside the ring hits a tornado DDT for a two count. A springboard hurricane runner, a slam, and a frog splash. But on the frog splash, Guerrero hurts his knee. Ric Flair gingerly gets up, realizes the situation, and locks on the figure four. And Guerrero um, tries to escape but can't. And then eventually his shoulders are counted to the mat for the one, two, three. In what was a really good match, um, the guys on the 20 Years of Nitro podcast said, I think I think they said this was the longest match in Nitro history at this point, and it was really, really enjoyable. If you're going to give good time on TV to two guys, these are definitely high on the list to do that. The one thing I d- disagree with them, though, is we go to a Ric Flair promo next, uh, and he's got the girls with him. He cuts a bit of a promo on Macho Man and um, also on Kevin Green and... Mongo, and it wasn't a bad promo, but I wouldn't say it was one of his best promos. I thought it was a bit rambling and sort of, you know, it lacked a little bit of focus that Flair's normally got. But he did just wrestle an awesome match. I can forgive him for not being at his tip-top on the mic. We then go to a commercial, and when we come back, Ric Flair has taken Mongo's seat at the commentary table, so he's doing the all-rounder job tonight. And he's commentating for our next match, which is um, Meng and the Barbarian, the Faces of Fear, taking on Sting and Lex Luger. Um, we basically, uh, Flair brings his, um, five-star stuff to the table, the commentary table, so his wine and fruit platters and whatnot, and I'm not sure exactly what he says, but it sounded like he said, Bobby, you can touch the girls, Bischoff, hands off, but he may have not said girls, so don't quote me on that, go and check it out. Um, 
talking about the guys in the matchup flair jokes that he caught Liz checking out Luger the other day um, when he was pumping his abs, and I thought that was a little bit of ominous foreshadowing. If we, we all know how that one went down, so it was a little bit uncomfortable, but um, also it was quite a funny line from Flair at the time as well. In the ring, Meng hits a nice drop toe hold. Lex Luger hits a power slam for a two, and Meng hits a back suplex as we go to a commercial. Um, Ric Flair says this line a couple of times on commentary, um, talking about Debra's, uh, Mongo's wife. Uh, Debbie, you've heard of Debbie Does Dallas. Well, it's soon it'll be Debbie Does the Nature Boy, and I thought that was pretty funny as well. Sting gives clotheslines to both the heels, and then Barbarian comes back with a big boot, and Barbarian, holy shit, hits a top rope overhead belly-to-belly suplex for a two-count. So that is something I did not know Barbarian had in his locker. Wow. Meng and the Barbarian both go up top and hit simultaneous top rope headbutts to Sting, but Lex Luger makes a save. We then get a Barbarian backbreaker for a two, and Lex nearly kills Barbarian on a backdrop. He just about rotates in time, then nails him with a big forearm, and Sting comes off the top rope with a splash for the one, two, three. This brings our, um, takes us to our next segment, sorry. And Gene comes out with, um, he's outside, I should apologise, I can barely get my words out today. Gene's outside with the Macho Man and some police. We go to a commercial before um, coming back in and finding out that Macho's still barred. He's got a little bit of a surprise up his sleeve for Flair and whatnot, but it's um, it's pretty much more of the same. It's been a bit of a holding pattern, this Macho Man banned from the building stuff lately, so nothing really to write home about. We get another ad for Glacier, which is pretty funny. And then we go to our next matchup, which is Brad Armstrong, someone we've not seen on Nitro uh, much lately, taking on DDP, who got his first big break in WCW the night before, picking up the victory in the Battle Bowl tournament. So he gets the, the ring as Lord of the Ring and a title shot at the Giant at the Great American Bash. So big, big step forward for DDP, who's been sort of down and out a bit lately. Match gets started with some good chain wrestling. Um, we have a drop kick from Brad Armstrong, and we pretty quickly go to a commercial. When we come back, um, Armstrong locks in a backslide for a two. DDP hits a clothesline. Armstrong hits an inverted atomic drop and a snapmare, and then a top rope crossbody for a two count. DDP hits a nice back elbow and then transitions into a diamond cutter for the one, two, three. And this brings out Gene Oakland to interview DDP about the events from the pay-per-view the night before. Hopefully, yes, we comments. Very impressive here tonight, and of course, it's Lamarie. Snapper head, zip it. Last night, Diamond Dallas Page, bang, shocked the world. Good God. In the Lethal Lottery contest, the best of the best. Flair, Macho, Luger, Steiners, Road Warriors, Sullivan, Double A, Fire and Ice, Barbarian, Ming, need I go on? But when it was all said and done, there could only be one. Yeah! And that was DDP, standing in the middle with the ring, the new Lord of the Rings. And I got one person to thank. My self. Self high five. All right. Shut up, you Di jerks. Diamond Dallas. Which brings me to my next agenda. The G-Man. Wow. Wait a minute. The seven-footer. Giant boy, you're mine. You're wearing something oh, that's give mine. Me a break. Hold on just Come a on, second. Page. I want you to listen to what I have to say. Uh-oh. Diamond, please, come over here. What? I just got off the telephone. I just got off the telephone with the championship committee of WCW. They have informed me 
they have viewed the videotape footage. I want you to take a look now to our national television audience because, yes, there's the diamond cutter. We're taking a look at that. And then Diamond Dallas Page, the executive committee, the championship committee, noticed that you got the pin with your foot on the floor. Now, now here, here's the story. Here's the story, my friend. They cannot take the Lord of the Ring away from you. The they will not reverse the decision of the referee. However, that was up in front. I went over, skipped my foot off, right on the apron. That is footage. That is foul footage. That ball. No, 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 no. Wait a minute. They will not grant you the championship shot what? at the Giant at the Great American Bank. Kidding me? Hey, keep your hands Are you off kidding me. me. I'll walk out of here if you ever touch me again. They have awarded the shot to Lex Luger, ladies and gentlemen. He will be. Take care of this. Wow. I never want that man to put his hands on me. Get me a get me an officer up here. Lex Luger will get the shot on uh, June the 16th in Baltimore, Maryland. This guy is going bull here. Well, that, that is not my decision. Again, here I have to play the part. I'm only the messenger. Diamond Dallas Page, very, very upset indeed. Lex Luger, the recipient of a title shot at the wow. Great American Bash. So as you heard there, a bit of a tough break for DDP. The poor guy wins Battle Bowl, and they just basically tell him, nah, we're not giving you the title shot. We're giving it to Lex Luger, and I don't quite know what Lex did to win the title shot. They certainly didn't do the old WWF sort of Final Four routine where they went with the runners-up and let them compete for it. They just gave it to some other random guy that they like. So, yeah, I'd be a bit pissed off too if I was DDP. Uh, also kind of renders the pay-per-view quite useless, the fact that you went through this whole, you dedicated a whole pay-per-view to this tournament, and then the next night stripped away the winner's stipulation, so really, I'd be pretty pissed off if I'd spent the, I don't know, whatever it was, 35 bucks back then on watching the show, and the next night you just vetoed the whole bloody thing. Anywho, moving right along, we go to our main event of Nitro, and it's Arn Anderson taking on the Giant for the World Heavyweight title. Um, Flair on commentary is selling the fact that they've got a plan for this one and Arn Anderson comes out with Kevin Sullivan who's in the Dungeon of Doom with the Giants so it seems like there's something going on here and Arn and Kevin Sullivan and Flair have some sort of pact and they're going to take the title away from the Giant maybe but let's see how that all works out Arn hits some shoulder blocks and punches in the corner um, before Giant hits a big slam and a back body drop. On the outside, we hear Kevin Sullivan telling Jimmy Hart he's just making sure this is a fair contest, so that doesn't seem suspicious at all. Arn Anderson hits a couple of second rope axe handles, and then attempts a DDT, but Giant basically holds firm and lifts him out of the DDT attempt into a choke slam for the 1-2-3, and this big master plan never eventuates. Flair buggers off from commentary, and Heenan then follows suit not long after, after stealing the candles and a few bits of fruit, which he sticks down his, in, into his pockets. And Bischoff signs the show off, so really, really weird that they would sell this big um, storyline change with Sullivan coming out with Anderson, and then just nothing happens. So I kind of hope this is something they follow up with, but I'm not holding my breath. We will certainly wait and see. That does it for Nitro, so there's only really one thing left to do, and that's pick ourselves a winner. So, going over the categories this week, and we're going to start with Crowd Heat, which I went with a tie, because I can't say that I remember the crowd getting super into either of the shows. They were a decent crowd at both, but nothing spectacular and nothing overly weak or rebellious either, so I'm going to call a tie on that one. 
which takes us to our next category, which is characters. And the characters on display, I'm going to go with WCW. They just probably put a few more stars out than the WWF did. Um, maybe I just don't like Cypheo Vega, but it is what it is. Um, WCW slightly edges that one. Storylines, however, the WWF slightly edges. Um, they're doing the hard sell to the pay-per-view, whereas WCW are coming out of theirs. Um, not really doing anything with that storyline in the main event. And vetoing the one from the night before with DDP kind of hurts WCW in this category. So the Fed gets the win there. Production value, I actually went with WCW because I hated the WWF just go off the air in the middle of a brawl ending. And we're not even in the middle of a brawl, like after the first couple of punches. So it never built any heat and just annoyed me going off the air like that. I guess it's the new way of teasing to buy the pay-per-view and see these guys fight. But just let me the main event have some sort of conclusion before you go off. And that takes us to the big one, which is wrestling quality or match quality. And I went with WCW pretty handily on this one. Between Fire and Ice and the Steiners being a huge, beefy suplex fest, and Flair and Guerrero being a wrestling clinic, there really wasn't much to um, much doubt as to who was going to get this. The wrestling wasn't bad on Raw, but uh, the main event was bad. Um, the other two matches were okay, so overall it would be a pass mark. But this was a really good episode of WCW for in-ring competition. Um... So this one, yeah, I guess the crowd were right when they voted with their remote controls, and Nitro was definitely the superior show. Had an extra half an hour, which I guess helps. It can hurt, but this in this instance, it didn't. It helped. And that will do it. So the next time we look at um, WCW up against the WWF head-to-head will be the pay-per-view. So Carl and I will be hooking up in the very near future to look at that. Richie and I eventually will be getting back onto our 80s kick when we figure out exactly what shows it is we're going to narrow down. And I've got a very special guest coming on the next Raw and Nitro episode, which is probably a few weeks away yet. But Henry from the Raw Attitude podcast will be joining me to talk about Raw and Nitro, and in particular, Scott Hall's debut on Nitro and how that storyline really helped usher in the Attitude Era, which is what he chronicles on his show. I'll also be appearing at some point on the net, the on the then now whatever podcast to debate the um, burial habits of one Triple H. So that's going to be really fun. A um, whole bunch of stuff coming up. So keep your ears to the ground. Keep checking your feed. Um, and yeah, keep interacting with us on Twitter. We're about to hit 10,000 downloads, which is awesome. I'm really, really proud of that. Thank you all for listening. Um, going to be attempting to get onto Spotify very soon. So if you do have that as your preferred platform, let me know and um, I'll try and get that one sorted. And I would really love if I could get a few more reviews on iTunes. It feels like it's been a long time since I managed to get a review on iTunes. So if you haven't done so yet and you are inclined, please do because it's a huge, huge help to the show. Thank you all once again for listening and I will speak to you all very, very soon.
like a silk. Sap and cuddly hug me up like a quilt. I'm a lyrical lover. Now take me thin up filled with my sexual physique. You know me well, well, do me. You my well, well, can't you tell? I'm just like a turtle crawling out of my shell. Y'all, you captivate me, body put me under a spell. With your couscous perfume, all of your sweet smell. You're the young, the young girl who can ring my bell and I can take rejection. So you tell me go to well and boom, bossy, tell me fantastic. Put me on my box, she says I'm Mr. Bro. Mr. Rowe. 